everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and then some. I'm the author of the books, Common Sense Pregnancy and Mom's Side of the Story. I'm a registered nurse with almost 20 years experience working in labor and delivery. I'm a maternal health advocate, a writing coach, and the mother of several adult kids. So as most of you know by now, I live in Portland, Oregon, and this episode is being recorded on Friday, July 24th, which I believe will be night 57 or 58 of our city's Black Lives Matter protests that have, they've been broadcast to the world because of the brutality inflicted on Portland citizens by federal agents. I mean, seriously, if there was ever more clear evidence of the need to restructure police authority, this would be it. What we're seeing on the news, uh, it gives the impression that Portland is a war zone right now and that the whole city is a battlefield. But the truth of the matter is very, very different. Now, from where I live in Northeast Portland, which is about two miles from the protest epicenter, if you didn't watch the news and weren't participating in the protests, you'd never know they were happening. And when I talk with friends who live in other neighborhoods, even closer to the protest site, their neighborhoods are quiet and peaceful too. We're all going about our business and outside of the epicenter, um, there's nothing going on. There are no federal agents storming our neighborhoods, no protesters destroying our property. It's all happening in about a three block radius in downtown Portland, right outside the Multnomah County Justice Center. Um, and what's happening down there is huge. It's a revolution. But the rest of the city is perfectly fine. So don't believe what you may be hearing from the president that we need law and order, that we need federal agents to get control of our city. We don't. We're fine. We are a city that knows how to protest peacefully. And yes, there's some outliers. There's some graffiti. There's a little property damage. But so what? That's paint. It's buildings. They're not destroying the buildings. It's not violent. What is violent is the presence of federal agents kidnapping people off the streets, beating and gassing peaceful protesters. This is horrifying, but it's only happening during the small hours of the morning right downtown. The rest of the town and protests are peaceful. So this week, I want to talk with someone who knows Portland better than most. But before we get this week's guest on the line, I want to impress upon all of you that's what that what's happening here is not normal. And unless every citizen makes a big, loud, messy stand, it may continue until no city is safe from this kind of intimidation, oppression, fascism, and violence at the hands of armed, unidentified federal agents. If there was ever a time in history where people need to stand up, it's now. Don't wait until November. Do it now. Join protests in your city. Start protests in your city. Support Black Lives Matter protests. Now, one more thing. A big part of the focus in Portland is about the violence perpetrated against the wall of moms who are women, the women that you'll see in the news wearing yellow shirts. 
I want you to go to their website, thewallofmoms.com, to learn all about them. But I want to read just a few of the bullet points from their homepage. I think it does a pretty good job of explaining their goals. Their, their Wall of Moms website uh, says, We listen to Black leaders. We are here to follow their direction behind the scenes and at the Justice Center. We go where they tell us. Our goal is to push the media to turn the focus where it belongs. Black leaders. We will use our white bodies, not our white voices. Bev, who's one of the Wall of Moms administrators, Bev's vision was that we moms would take some physical hits in hopes our black and brown kids, friends, neighbors, and loved ones will be spared some pain. To summon that mom warrior spirit spirit to protect our kids, all our kids, to let the feds, cops, hit gas, shoot us first, not to be the voice of the movement. A lot of us haven't put our bodies in harm's way like this. It's really scary and awful, but it's what's been happening to black and brown bodies for years. Let's help each other do this. And thank you all for your grace and courage. Now, Let's talk with this week's guest. Laura O. Foster writes about the Pacific Northwest. Her eight Portland-based books explore the city's geology, architecture, neighborhoods, walking trails, and our city's human and natural history. She has lived in Portland, Oregon with her family for decades and knows our city well. She was also among the Wall of Moms, who, um, and she's participated in our now-famous downtown protests against police brutality, federal agents occupying our city, and in support of Black Lives Matter. So, let's get Laura on the line. Hi, Laura. It's Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. Good to hear from you. You too. It's been too long, my friend. How are you? Yes. All is as well as it can be during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you and I have a lot to talk about and we go back a long ways. But my first question for every guest is the big hard one. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, well, my name, I'm Laura Foster. I am a resident of Portland, Oregon. I've been here over 30 years. And what I have been doing for the last 20 or so years uh, is writing books about Portland, exploring its various layers of interest, everything from the rocks up, I say. So geology and street trees, you know, ornamental horticulture, um, history, architecture, um, political issues that have impacted the streetscape and cityscape. All of that I kind of weave together in my books. And then uh, in the last few years, I've stepped away from writing books and have gone back to school to get a master's degree in um, applied linguistics so that I can teach adult English language learners. Um, And I hope to mostly teach here in Portland, teach immigrants who arrive here and not only want to learn um, the English language, but want to learn their city. And so I'm combining my knowledge of the city with uh, my interest in teaching adult language learners. Awesome. Love that. Yeah. So I read a little bit of your bio before I got you on the line today. And men- it mentions that you write about the Pacific Northwest and that you've 
written eight Portland-based books. Is that is that still the correct number? Eight. Yeah, eight. Mm-hmm. And that that's probably the last. One. Maybe I'll write another one, but it will be slightly different. Yeah. I've heard you say this is the last book a couple of times now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then I find another angle to exploit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I kind of consider you my Portland expert, not only because you were my first friend when I moved to Portland back in the early 90s, but also, yeah, yeah, but also, I'd forgotten that. Had you, you know, you know why you, I met you first? Well, because of, because of my roommate, your sister-in-law, isn't that right? Yes. Denise. Yeah. 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 So she told me I should look you up and I'd probably like you. <laughs> oh, that's so great! Well, I did not know it was so soon after you were arriving here that we met. Um, I, I had forgotten that part. I yeah. knew it was early on. Yeah, yeah. And you've been here, so you've been here not much less than I, right? Like twenty-nine years or something uh, like that. Or 30? We moved here in nineteen ninety-three. Oh, ninety-three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been here for twenty-seven years, and. Yeah. In many ways, the city has changed a lot, and in many ways, it hasn't changed at all. And, you know, that's why I wanted to talk to you for this episode, because you've been steeped in all things Portland through your books and, you know, involvement with Portland Metro and civic engagement, and you raised your family here, and you've lived in several neighborhoods and parts of town, and you know the city like the back of your hand. Um Mm-hmm. I haven't mentioned the names of the books, and I'm not going to be able to do them all, but Portland Hill Walks, Portland Street Walks. What else? Um, Portland um, Stair Walks is the latest one. Mm-hmm. And that one is some of the, the Portland Hill Walks, Portland City Walks are actually out of print. And uh, I, they're quite expensive used on Amazon. So that tells me maybe I should redo those, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much work to put those books together. And um, I just want to move on. I think there's better other needs for other other types of work, but other ways I can contribute at this point. So I think I'll just let them rest. Yeah. Well, this week in particular, I want to focus on the protests that are happening in town. And I don't know about you, but I am getting calls from, you know, siblings, family, friends from out of town who are seeing what's going on in the news and calling me to find out if we're okay. Is the whole city burning down? Have I been, you know, when you watch the news yes. from outside Portland, it seems like the whole city is going to hell in a handbasket. That is not the experience that I'm having. And I wanted to talk to you about that. When you watch the All right, news, yeah. do the protests that you're seeing on the news reflect what you're seeing in greater Portland? Not at all. Um, and f- for an example, I was at the protest Monday night and got uh, there uh, at 8, and the actual protest didn't start till 8.45. So we were, it was there early. It was a very quiet evening downtown. Um, at 8.45, we started marching. We got to the federal courthouse, and then uh, we listened to some speeches there, and then we walked around downtown returning to the courthouse and um, by 1130 or so, it was just this beautiful march, you know, lots of singing, lots of memory of uh, remembrances of um, people of color who have been killed by the police. Uh, it was peaceful. There was not a cop to be seen. Uh, and so the 
the next day I watched the news and what all they showed, and this is our local news, not national. They just showed the the incidents that happened like between midnight and 1 a.m. when there is a small group of people that are attacking the courthouse with their hands and with their feet, kicking and slapping on it. There's some spray painting. There was a small cardboard box fire outside of it. Uh, and that's what they show. And then they showed the police coming out on um, the federal squads, who are, of course, unmarked. Uh, and they show them attacking the protesters. So it looks like just mayhem everywhere. And I'm downtown right now. I just had lunch on the South Park block um, at, on the PSU campus with some of my colleagues in the linguistics program. Just serene, green, not a speck of graffiti or any signs of any discord or mayhem. And so it, it is frustrating to see how the media will just take the worst aspects of anything and, and run with that. Yeah, yeah. And people have the impression all over the country, probably all over the world at this point, that um, you know the, the city is under siege and that in some cases, I think that that justifies in people's mind the federal agent's presence here. And, you know, I'm here right. to tell you, there's nothing going on in Portland that is violent except for in those two to three blocks downtown. That's it. And most of the time, it's completely peaceful protesting until mm -hmm. the federal agents come out. Yeah, yeah. And the and they're protecting a federal building, which is their, you know, they are charged with doing that. But the building is not really under siege. I mean, the, the protesters are more demanding an interaction with these cops. It's not like they're trying to destroy the building as far as I am concerned. And there, yes, there's graffiti on the building. And people decry that and say, you know, they're, they're destroying a federal a structure. Well, I think it's you have to balance the fact that, you know, there's been 400 years of lives that have been destroyed by policies that are unjust. And this is a symbol, you know, remember how important symbolism is. Attacking a federal structure with graffiti is just a very faint but potent way to say, you know, we are not going to take this anymore. Yeah. yeah. So why are so many people, so many Portlanders showing up for this event, in your opinion? Well, I can only speak for myself and what, you know, I, I attended some of the early protests and then stopped. Um, and I felt like, well, it's time to, you know, stop protesting and, and act on the changes that we started to implement. But then when they sent, when Trump sent these um, unmarked um, uh, squads, from the border patrol and who else, who knows where. Um, and they started throwing people into vans and attacking that, that, that gentleman who was a veteran who just wanted to speak with them. Mm -hmm. um, he was unarmed and they attacked him so violently. That video was like the George Floyd video. You just like, you just, it just stirred something in your gut saying, this is so wrong. This is, this is what authoritarian dictators do. Mm -hmm. They disappear people into vans and the people are never seen again mm -hmm. or voices of dissent are, are, squashed violently, which both of which happened here. And if we don't do something, it, it, it's just going to accelerate. We have to take a stand. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. hundred percent. Portland is, uh, it's a protesting town. We're, we're a crowd of people that will show up to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to speak our minds and not every 
protest that we have here in Portland is in what I would consider on the right side of history. But this one is, and it's been going on for 56 nights now. Yeah, isn't that, I know. And, and you know, you, I've often wondered about, you know, what did, what did people in Nazi Germany think in the early 30s before Hitler really got his grip tight and, on, and, on, and things turned as awful as they did? What did they think in those early days? And I think we are in those early days here. And if I don't want to have my grandchildren say, Grandma, how come you didn't do anything? You know? Yeah. Because I, I, I at least want to try. Yeah. I've got to try. Yeah. Yeah. So last night, the, the images that are coming out today from last night's um, demonstration seem to have a really different uh, reflection. They're, the the clips that I'm seeing on repeat are the wall of moms and all of the other protesters that were around them singing a lullaby of um, hands up. Hands up, please don't shoot. Yeah. Hands up, please hands don't up. shoot me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really it's plaintive. Powerful. The night before that, the images that we saw were um, our mayor getting uh, tear gassed. The night before that, it was the wall of moms, women you and I know, getting mm-hmm. the shit gassed out of them and getting beaten mm-hmm. and pushed back mm-hmm. for not doing mm-hmm. anything that is against the law, violent, or even particularly provocative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they are, they're so far out of line. And, and, you know, you would think any, any national leader would go, Hey, the optics aren't good here of having troops kitted out like they're going into combat with our mortal enemy attacking moms, one of whom at least was pregnant, visibly pregnant. I mean, it's just like how, oh, it's just maddening. But I think as much as protesters are, you know, pounding their fists against the federal building downtown, the courthouse, which is, that's an act of political theater. It's, you know, it's not going to knock a building down, but it's, it's, it's a potent image. And I think Trump is, got his political theater going with these troops. This is, he's playing to his base, showing he can strong man these. Um, I mean, I think they see liberal cities as enemies of, you know, that we aren't, we don't love America. We don't love our country, you know, and we are, um, and we're also weak. And so Trump plays to that perception that certain people have of, of blue cities and blue states. How do you feel? It's uh, theater. How do you feel our um, city and state represent representatives are handling it? Well, I watched Ron Wyden's speech in Congress, um, where he was demanding. Um, uh, I, I forget the the legal term, but it's you know, something to end the uh, the ability of the federal government to send in unwanted troops into cities. And I was really proud of him. Mm-hmm. He, I think he co-sponsored that with Jeff Merkley, our other senator. So. Yeah, I'm all behind what they're up to. Yeah, they're vocal and and they're um they're doing they're representing I think their constituents beautifully. I think so too. Not so sure about our mayor. Do you have any opinions there? Yeah. Well, I I feel confused and I don't know if he's talking out of both sides of his mouth where he you know he doesn't want the troops here he says but yet it seems that our police have been coordinating with them and he is the police commissioner 
Um, so I don't know if they're doing that in defiance of him because I know that they don't love him because of his ban of on tear gas. So I don't really know what to think of Ted Wheeler. I think in some ways he's 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 kind of a laid back leader, but and he's let um, Joanne Hardesty come to the fore, which I think is very wise of him. So I have mixed feelings. Yeah, yeah. About him. How about you? Uh, same. Yeah, yeah. And I and I'm feeling. Um a bit of distrust there. Whereas Joanne Hardesty has offered to, she's demanded that he hand control of the police department over to her. And um, yeah, he said, no, <laughs> he said, no. Yeah. So that at, in, you know, in this political arena, that makes me wonder why. Oh, you know? Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And she, you know, this woman has been fighting this fight for years, decades, and her moment has come like where everybody else finally gets what she's been talking about. And she ought to be the one running the city as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. She's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. She has shown such leadership. Yes. Yeah. 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 I wish she was on the ballot in November as mayor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. Yeah. So I want to know more about what you saw of the wall of moms. Who are these women? Um, well, you know, I showed up uh, thinking, well, I'm going to be part of the wall of moms. But I didn't get the message that you're supposed to wear yellow. That night. So, so they, I, I, I was amused and, and impressed with their organization because they just emerged i think on saturday and by monday they had you know a good communication structure set up they had this this cohort of dads with their leaf blowers to blow the gas back towards um the courthouse when it's when you know if and when that happened uh so impressed just bemused and and just proud of our city for its creativity in um in combating a threat with kind of a humor but also super powerful symbolism mm -hmm. uh so that was great uh and then when i when i how i saw them in action was of course during the march and some of the speeches uh um one, one of the moms spoke and at the end of her speech you know exhorting us all to be strong stick together uh be tight with each other and at the end of the end of her speech she said and when you go home tonight go home tonight Brush your teeth. <laughs> but, and so where they really got into action was um, at midnight on Monday when I was there. Uh, the This was before the new fence had gone up uh, at the federal courthouse. And so uh, people were pounding on the doors uh, and kicking it and trying to, you know, get some kind of interaction with uh, the, the federal cops who were inside. And the moms, uh, formed a wall kind of around these people to protect them, I think, from the cops. Or, um, or it wasn't clear to me if they were if they were formed the wall because they felt like the cops would be less willing to tear gas moms. But they interlocked arms at that point, and uh, we stood behind their their first wall and interlocked arms. And we stood that way for maybe 20 or 30 minutes. Nothing happened. So. Uh, I left at that point, um, and and I guess later they did get tear gas, but I didn't see it. Mm. You were yeah, there. you um, were there though. I partly, yeah. I didn't I didn't stay long enough, and I, I tell you, um, four hours of holding up a sign and marching 
it kind of took it out of me. So I had to take a couple of days to uh, recuperate because I didn't want to get myself too tired uh, and then get COVID. <laughs> So yeah, you have to balance you. all these things. You do, you do, and we're we're older moms, not the young moms. Staying up yeah, past midnight is a right. big deal. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. I think I'm tough, and then I and then I go, okay, I can be tough one day, but then I need two days to yeah recover from my toughness. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't see any federal agents at all. I didn't, and you know I. I, I didn't. I didn't see any um, Portland police either that whole night um, because we were all peaceful. There was no need for them, and so I was sort of admiring their forbearance and not getting out there and harassing or even showing their, you know, overdressed presentation where they they come out in their gas masks and their um, their armor like clothing. Um, um, I've always objected to that. You know, anytime you see a protest downtown, the cops look like they're ready for war mm -hmm. rather than peacekeeping their fellow civilians. Right. Uh, I really object to the whole um, uh, the arming of our police force as though they're in some kind of um, battleground yeah. rather than their own city. Uh, right. That's another issue. They aren't. Yeah. They probably aren't from they're this they're probably not from portland they're probably you know the cops our own no, cops the, the federal agents oh the federal yeah oh, no. you know there's not a lot that it we is. can do except for show up use our voices use the power of consumerism bang on doors you know yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah. There, I mean, so many people say about everything and like, you know, 90% of life is just showing up, you know, and, yeah. and that's what this is. You just get your face and body and voice out there and it makes a difference. It you know, it makes, difference. we're making international news. Yeah. 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 And then vote. And, and I mean, just go ahead. I said, and then and, vote. And then vote. I know register and get out there. And that's another fight to be fought is the, the voter suppression that's taking place in the South ever since the Supreme Court ruled a few years ago that um, those states no longer need to be uh, watched for their practices that inhibit voting. Yeah. It's, it's bad what they're up to. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, were there, you, there's a lot of battles to be fought. Were you afraid at any point when you were there? Uh, we, we were, I was a little afraid of when we were standing behind the protesters who were actually physically interacting with the, um, the Marco Hatfield courthouse building. I thought that they were going to precipitate some reaction and they did, but it was after we left. So we were kind of a little worried and we put on our, we put our, um, earplugs in and put our caps on low and our, our, our masks up as high as we could in case we got uh, gas, but. We didn't. Yeah. Will you go back? Yeah, I will. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of one book I'm reading, uh, you know, when I was young, I read um, Black Like Me, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and other things that were perspectives uh, of the Black experience, Black American experience. And now um, I'm reading this book called the, When They Call You a Terrorist. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's by one of the founders of the Black Lives matter movement and it's it's just it's just jaw-dropping and it makes you sick to your stomach 
the kind of America they live in relative to the one you and I get to live in. Yeah. It's, it's an apartheid system that we've got going, especially in the cities. Um, so anyway. So are you optimistic or pessimistic or skeptical or cynical? Or... Mm. How are you doing? <laughs> it's hard to be optimistic right now. I, I'm not as optimistic about, you know, about the arc of humanity always bending upward. <laughs> right now, I think we're, we're, we're flat or going downward and maybe we have, you know, down and then up again. But right now I think things look pretty grim. I do too. I'm an optimistic person by nature. And um, mm-hmm. I actually still do strongly believe that um, the arc of human nature always bends forward. I think that that, mm-hmm. but that arc can take a while. And yeah. it's hard to it's hard to see how much worse things could get, especially if we have a really uh, frightening outcome from the November election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even if we have a, uh, even if Biden were to win, Trump is saying he he may not accept it. I mean, just just saying something like that is so dangerous it's it's code to his supporters yeah get your guns out this is when you know you might be needed now to go out and fight they're just waiting i hate to say it i shouldn't say they i hate that i feel as separate from them as they feel from me me too yeah yeah but the representation of how we all think is so polarizing I imagine that if we had more opportunities to engage with them, we'd all have a better understanding of each other. So true. And don't you think the internet is somewhat in a big part um, the reason? Because it's so easy to get angry online when uh, you don't have the whole human in front of you to interact with. Right. Absolutely. I think that the internet has made us cruel. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's a good, yeah, that's profound. You're right. You're totally right. Yeah, it has made us cruel. It has also connected us in many, many ways and has been a gift to global justice in that we have the ability to um, film and then send images out to the entire world. We're getting more attention in action during this time period of history called 2020 than we have in mm-hmm. uh, decades. And it's because yeah, of the power of so the internet. Right. It's the power of the internet. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. and, and cell phones. God, what would we have missed without cell phone videos? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So my listeners are primarily pregnant women, new mothers, new parents, um, some older parents too, but they are newer in the parenting game than you and I are. And Mm -hmm. I am really thinking about women who are delivering their babies in 2020 and 2021, you know, the pandemic the demonstrations, and then all of the uncertainty about our future that we're all, we're all living with, but 
you know how it is when you have a baby come in. It's all about potential. It's all about future. It's all about mm-hmm. that. And I'm thinking about him because I have never, you and I are pretty close to the same age. I have never seen mm-hmm. this level of uncertainty in my entire life. Same, right. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, the kids that have grown up, you know, since 9-11, you know, they're now, what, 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. And then they, their end of their childhood is bookended with this. It's just this generation has had it tough. And then, yeah, the, the kids being born now, if I were to give one piece of advice, I would say to parents, don't, well, uh, let me preface that with saying that my oldest who's 32, my youngest is 18. I noticed an increasing level of fear in parenting. I would take the youngest to the same playgrounds I took the oldest to, and I would constantly hear, be careful, be careful, don't, no, watch out, be careful. So much, so much worry about children. Uh, I think you can instill your kid with this message that everything is scary and dangerous. And my advice is like, take him to the beach, take him to a big grassy field where there's nothing that you have to say, be careful of, or, you know, just don't say that so much. The world is scary, but a little two-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old, they shouldn't be hearing those messages yet. Let's just let them, you know, play and fall down and scrape their knees up. Who cares? That's what, that's how they learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between, um, raising your family fear-based and raising your family well-based, which is something that I write Mm -hmm. about in my books is the fear factor that Mm -hmm. there are many things to be afraid of. And there are so many things that just aren't ever going to happen to you. And you don't have to be afraid of. Maybe we don't have to be as vigilant as some people are. You know, Mm -hmm. that said, balance that with, we live in a really scary world right now and babies are real super fragile. So we can give this advice and wish you luck. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the, yeah, everything I had to say hasn't, doesn't mean anything when there's a pandemic going on. Know. <laughs> but, you know, just the, the natural world is such a healing place for all of us. Like get your kid into some woods and let them explore, you know, yeah. because there's no, there's no virus out there and there's dirt and dirt's good for us. They're le- learning, you know, it's, it's got, it's good for our antibodies. Just I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not scientific about it at all. But I just feel like nature is is a healing force, especially now. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, well anyway, as you know, you ready for to answer a few rapid fire roundup questions? They're hard ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, but go ahead. <laughs> what role does feminism play in your life? an increasing role um and uh and I have to watch because I live with a man that I love very much and but so much of the culture uh is emerging more and more to my like a veil being lifted off my eyes all the time and so I feel like I'm becoming more and more a feminist but I also don't want my husband to feel like he is being implicated in my awareness of how unfair it has been to women mm-hmm. for so long does that yeah, yeah i get it balancing that. i get it yeah yeah you and i yeah. you and i are both married to um late middle-aged white men and mm-hmm. 
they're not looking their very best in history right now. And part of that is because of <laughs> the power. I mean, our guys are great. We've got the good ones. But a lot of that has to do with the power dynamic that is our political representation. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, and it's, it's, it's everything, Jeannie. It's like even in the design of, um, of tools, you know, like our lawnmower, mm-hmm. for example. I can't mow our lawn without my hands just cramping up horribly because you have to hold two different bars together while you're pushing this machine. And it's cl- clearly designed for a man. Same with, um, with, I was listening to a woman who's a race car driver and she couldn't reach pedals and she, her hands were cramping because the steering wheels are built for men's mm-hmm. grip. So our whole world is designed for men, mm-hmm. by men. Mm-hmm. Women are also not even at the table. Like even the iPhone design is, you know, bigger than a lot of women's hands can comfortably hold. Mm-hmm. Because there were no women on the design team, there's just—it's—it's it's everywhere. Yeah. The fact that we, our voices and our ideas, have not been incorporated into the world, so it is damn well past time yeah. for all of that to start happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my next question is: How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. I could say no. Yeah, that was, I, I got myself into trouble young as a younger woman because I, I just didn't feel empowered to say no. To say no? And so I went along. Yeah, I went along too much with things mm-hmm. from everything from work to, uh, you know, interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. You can say no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I hear so many women my age or our age who say, you know, I, I say no now a lot. Like they're, they're proud of themselves because they just finally figured it out. Whereas I look at my 18 year old and she's got no trouble saying no. I mean, she's just so much more confident a person than I was at that age where I was taught to get along and not question adults, not question authority, not question men, just, you know, yeah, be glad for what what comes your way it was it was not a real progressive upbringing well i have a special place in my heart for that little one of yours that 18 year old (laughs) yes you know (laughs) i was the one who delivered her (laughs) (laughs) amazing to even think about that i know oh my gosh that's so great we got to get together back in touch with you (laughs) one last question and i think that i i uh I know what the answer might be this week. The question is, where do you stand in the world of motherhood? Where do I stand in the world of motherhood? Besides, you know, maybe, or maybe the answer is in the second line behind at the wall of moms. I don't know. That's a good, that's, yeah, that that is a helpful thing. I do feel um, in, in motherhood and all things that my time uh, in, in the forefront has, I should allow the next row to come forward and I'm there to back them up. I am not, um, in the forefront anymore because my ideas are not as fresh or as needed now as the ideas of the younger moms. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy. I admire them and I'm happy to support them. So thank you. That, that was, that's, that's exactly where I feel I am in the world of motherhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. 
Well, Laura, it's been really fun talking to you. So if our readers want to go, if, if our readers want to go look up your books, where do they go? Um, you know, if you just Google Laura O. Foster uh, in Portland, you'll find my books and they're available at online retailers. And, and um, a lot of books, uh, libraries have them. You can get them at, uh, on reserve or you can um, get them online. A lot of them have, are um, also available like in a Kindle version too. Yeah, cool. All right, Laura, you and I are going to catch up soon. Sounds good, Jeannie. Have a good weekend and talk to you soon. That's it for this week, everybody. We want to thank our sponsors, Green Chef, and our guest this week, Laura O. Foster. You can find me over at jeanfaulkner.com. Email me, gene at jeanfaulkner. Uh, tweet me, at jeanfaulkner. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. Let's talk next week, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>